As uh, so many of you know, but um, also now that kind of summer is officially over, sorry, had to break it in. It's not really over because we live here in South Carolina. It doesn't end until January. But now that summer is officially over, um, we um, are uh, uh, continuing in a sermon series that we started a couple weeks ago, which is going to take us through December. And it's called The Disciples' Call, where we're really going to look very seriously over these next few months, specifically uh, working with uh, Matthew chapter 10. Um, to find out what is it that we as disciples are called to do in this world. And so today, the topic is why disciples disciple. Why do we go out? Why do we love others? Why do we try to be ambassadors of Christ's forgiving love, which is what we um, have our mission statement here? Uh, why, why do we do that? Why is it important? Why not just stay to ourselves? You see, there's a basic assumption that I have, and I think that many of us have, underlying this sermon series. And the basic question is, why go do this? Chapter 10, it's all about Jesus sending out his 12 disciples two by two. Now, if you've been in the church at all, that's just part of what we do, right? That's, but, but of course, why? Why do we need to just seek to love the world in Christ's name in both word and deed. Why not just stay here in our comfortable place? Why not just let others live life the way that they see fit? Why do we have to go sort of barge in or, or pray or sort of worry about sharing the, with them this message of a God who loves them and forgives them? Well, our scripture for today gives us the answer. And, and actually this scripture, this uh, uh, Three, four verse scripture is actually going to be the lens by which we see the rest of what we talk about. And so it is imperative that we understand what Jesus Christ is telling us here, what the Holy Spirit is is uh, telling us here. So as always, I love it. You know, sometimes the text is up on the screen, but I love it when you take the Bibles around you and uh, join me as we walk through the scripture. Once again, it's on page 814. So. What does the Lord have for us? What, what is, what's going on here? What foundational principles are we be, being given here so we can fully understand chapter 10? Well, verse 35, what does it say? And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And so what we see here is this is, is we see Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God, out on mission. And he's going to every possible place to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Now, again, this is one of those phrases that if you've been in the church, you kind of think you know what that means. You have your own idea of what it means. But I think it's important that we stop and really say, what does this phrase mean? What does it mean? What is the good news of the kingdom? Well, to put very simply, it's that God is here. God has come into this earth. His rule and his power, though he's always been in control, they are breaking into this world and into our lives in a new way. Why? Because the tyrant of sin and evil and death that have ruled over God's people 
is going to be overthrown by God himself. And of course, this Greek word, pro proclaim the, the good news. This is a Greek phrase. It was actually really didn't have its beginning in the, in the New Testament. It actually has its beginning in other um, non-biblical Greek texts about the same time. And it's used to, to describe a herald from the king's army who, after a great victory, runs through and proclaims victory, victory. Our king has just defeated the invading army. We are free. We are safe. And so that's what Jesus Christ is doing here. Is he's walking through and he's saying, I have good news. People who've been enslaved by sin and bondage and pain and death. I have come. And God's kingdom is breaking in right now. Booker T. Washington was a late 19th century African-American intellectual and, and activist. And he did a tremendous amount for, um, for the post-Civil uh, War Reconstruction period, but he was born a slave. And in his autobiography called Up From a Slavery, he writes this about the day that he found out he was freed. He says, the most distinct thing I now recall in connection with the scene was that some man who seemed to, to be a stranger, who he now knows was, a, was a, a United States Army officer, made a little speech and then read a rather long paper, the Emancipation Proclamation. After the reading, we were told that we were all free and could go when and where we pleased. My mother, who was standing by my side, leaned over and kissed her children while tears ran down her cheeks. She explained to us what it all meant, that this was the day for which she had been so long praying, but fearing that she would never live to see. And that just gives us, actually as powerful as that story is, that just gives us a small glimpse into what Jesus was, was doing. You see, that union officer was proclaiming to them the gospel of freedom. But it was just a physical freedom. What Jesus is doing is he's coming in and he's pro proclaiming a message of something more than physical freedom. Spiritual freedom. Forgiveness. Finally free from the tyranny and bondage of sin. And as he was going through, Jesus was doing amazing signs, backing up his message with, with acts of healing and love and, as we'll see, compassion. But, of course, our scripture just doesn't end there. Verse 35, of course, transitions into verse 36. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because you see, what's beautiful is that the picture that Jesus gives us, or the Holy Spirit gives us of Christ in these verses, gets more and more colorful, more and more rich with every verse. And so as we look at verse 35, we see what Jesus was doing. But in verse 36, we see something even more, be more beautiful, why he was doing it. Why was he going from town to, 
to town? Well, it tells us the people were harassed and helpless. And, and the English language fails us here because the Greek for that phrase literally <coughs> translates, these people were torn and thrown down. They were harassed. They were torn. They were subject to the assaults of the devil and of their own sin. They were constantly attacked by them. They were helpless. They were thrown down. They were powerless to free themselves and protect themselves from, from these oppressors of sin and sickness and death. And how many of us in this room, if I was to ask you how you feeling after we got through all the polite fines, how, much, how many of us, including me, would torn and thrown down be a beautiful description of how we truly feel? So Jesus sees these people, sees us torn and thrown down. But what does he do? What's his response? Compassion. Compassion. Of all the phrases that the New Testament uses to describe Christ's heart towards us, towards us broken sinners, it's this word, compassion. And once again, the English language is trying to get there, but it fails us because the Greek word he, here is splachnitsema. Don't worry, there won't be a test. You'll have to write that down, okay? But, but it's this wonderful word, and it literally translates from the guts. From the gut. And what it's trying to convey is that this is not just – Christ isn't welling up this emotion. He's not trying to make himself loving or, or compassionate. It's a reflex. It's a response. It comes straight from his heart, and it comes from the deepest place of love and compassion and sympathy that a human being can ever muster. And as you know, this afternoon after um, worship, we have a lunch where we talk a lot about um, Orphan Network and our brothers and sisters in uh, Nicaragua. And I saw that Spock Nitsamai and so many of you in this room as we showed the pictures and we talked about the need. You didn't know them. They weren't going to benefit you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to win your Forgiveness, you can't work your way in. But you had a spot in mind, didn't you? When you saw these children, you had compassion and you acted. And then that takes us to verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what is Christ doing here? He's using this agricultural metaphor to, to describe the reality that, that there are thousands, millions of people that do not know this freedom. And these just aren't non-believers. But these are people that have been misled. Sometimes by well-meaning, but oftentimes not by well-meaning people who claim to be shepherds. Of, of God. What he's getting his disciples to do is to look up, not just in your own life or in your own family, though those are important fields, if you will, but to look out into the world and to have the eyes that Jesus has and to see the world, not as our eyes see them, but as he sees them, which is a rich, lush field 
of people that are ready to be called and introduced to Jesus Christ by word and deed. We are called and, and Christ calls all his disciples to proclaim the gospel to every single person. And we are coming not just with words of forgiveness, though that is the core of the gospel and that is the primary part of our multifaceted mission. That in Jesus Christ, no matter what sins you have committed, you are forgiven. And that forgiveness is so deep and so wide that once God calls you into his family and makes you his own, even though we strive against sin, when we do sin, now and forever, it is forgiven until Christ comes back and we are made holy new. But of course, we also come. And we also bring people the healing, the love, the feeding, the compassion that Christ also brought with his kingdom. The harvest is full, but the laborers are few. And then I think in a very Jesus way. I don't know about y'all, but Jesus is always surprising me all the time, right? But in a very surprising Jesus way, look at how he ends this verse. It's an unexpected thing, isn't it? What does he say? Verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What does he call his disciples, which includes us, to do? Well, surprisingly, I think we're kind of all building, right? All right, Hamilton, we're going to tell us to go out. I'm not, don't worry, I'm going to tell you we're going to go out, okay? But, but we need to start where Christ starts. The first thing that he says is not go out and harvest to, to disciples. What does he say? He says pray for laborers. Ask the Lord to send out people not just here but all over the world. To labor in the same way that we see Jesus Christ laboring for us in the first part of our reading. Now, yes, this includes praying for yourself to be a laborer, right? Praying for yourself to go out. But it also means first and then praying for God's church, not just in this area, but around the world for, for all laborers to be sent out. And of course, through what the amazing work that God have done in this church, we have two great examples of that as we pray and we serve with our brothers and sisters down the road at Greater Goodwill AME Church, a historically um, African-American church. We're now partners in, in, in the mission. They pray for us. We pray for, for them. And simultaneously, we send out our laborers to reap for the Lord. But, but of course, Orphan Network, this beautiful uh, ministry that not just that it not only feeds people's bodies, but more importantly, feeds their souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're called to pray. Why? Well, we do it because he's told us to, and we love him and we trust him, so, so we do it with, with, uh, without explanation. But, but I think a that a Christ actually doing a beautiful pastoral thing here by calling us to pray first and act second. We are called to remember that he is the Lord of the harvest, not us. He is in control of who is harvested when. Yes, we labor, but the results are his. 
This is so comforting to us, isn't it? Because this is laborious work. I'm always on y'all, right? I'm always, you know, invite your friends to life group. Invite your friends to a church. Come and have them and enjoy the love of Christ here with, with us. And so I was going to walk in that. And I've been ministering to um, some close friends of ours for years and years who really don't have a church home. And last this week, I kind of built up, you know, the courage. I called them up. And, and you know, I'm all confident in my mind. But on the phone, I get all sheepish. You know, I'm like, so, uh, you know, what do y'all do on Thursday? You know, your kids are older. You don't need a babysitter. Would it be possible? Maybe might you want to come and be part of, join us with this life group. And, you know, the people, if you can't come, it's okay. But I'd love if you'd come. And, da, da, da. <laughs> and, then, and then the worst thing ever happened. And I can hear his thoughts on the other end of the phone. He's looking for an excuse. Well, it turns out they said, I would love to, but we can't. It's just too late. But, but please call us next week. I was expecting the flat no. It was difficult. It was awkward. It was risky. They might pull away. But we're called. We're called to pray and to invite. We're called to pray. We're called to reap with, with the gospel. I am with this. We have a Savior who is going throughout this world right now. He's the great shepherd. And he is calling all people through him and through his church. And he is sending us out, yes, to be laborers. But he's calling on us to pray. He's calling on us to, to, to pray. Because the harvest is plentiful. But the labors are few. But by God's grace, it will be our joy to serve in gathering his harvest and, and his people as others have, have gathered us for his glory. And this is good news for us sinners. Amen. So as you respond in your own way, in your heart, as the Spirit leads you, we are always take some time to just reflect and respond. So we'll do a familiar song to the congregation. We're going to focus on this third verse to soak in the good news that we just heard.
Heavenly Father, you've um, blessed us by calling us to be the church in this country. And so, Lord, we lift up this country to you now and pray that you would send out laborers into your fields. So I ask that you would name states where you'd like to see the Lord send out more laborers. So, Lord, we lift up to you those people that you have called us to be laborers to. Those people that we see is ready for the harvest. So, Lord, we pray for them now by name. tool is not the law. It's not fear. But it's the good news of salvation of God that does not want us to be lost but comes after us. Jesus Christ who did everything possible for our salvation. Even paying the price for our sins by dying for us. And our tool to harvest is the simple invitation of just trusting that Christ has done it all. And that he has compassion for us. Lord, so we can be reminded of that good news, so we can be refreshed by that good news, so we can be made clean once again by that good news. We pray this prayer of confession, lifting up our sins known and unknown, things done and left undone, things thought and not thought, so that we may know your forgiveness and share this good forgiveness with those in our world. So with one voice, we pray to our loving Father. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and broken your laws. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you. And to please you more and more through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now for us sinners, let us hear the good news of the gospel. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives those who humbly repent and trust in his Son as Savior and Lord. God therefore forgives you and forgives me in Christ Jesus. Because in him there is no condemnation. Amen. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We have peace with God and peace with each other. So let us stand and may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Also with you. Please greet each other with the sign of God's peace. <laughs>